0: Welcome to the weekly podcast of River Valley Church. We're glad you're here. Our heart is to lead people to Jesus and launch them into their God-given purpose. So we pray you would encounter God in a fresh, new way today. To learn more about our church, visit rivervalley.org. Now, let's tune in to this week's message. How you guys doing? You guys alive? Yes. Well, welcome, you guys. I'm so blessed to be here. Obviously, you uh, you know, we, we, I want you to know this, we love River Valley Church. We, we've we become uh, really good friends with, with your pastors. I'll tell you what, Rob and Becca have been such a blessing to us over the years. And, and even, even Pastor Darren, come on, new, you know, all these new changes here at RVC, what up? I love that. I love that. I'll, I'll tell you, you know, we... Uh, uh, we're, it's been fun just even uh, getting to know your pastors. Your pastors have been our overseers for Substance, and they've really been uh, helping us since even... Be, uh, I actually got to know them a year before we moved up here from Wisconsin. We had pastored for about a decade uh, in Wisconsin before we, we moved over here, Like just like Rob and Becca had come over here. from. Good things come from Wisconsin, okay? I know that's controversial, but I just... I, I want you guys to know your church is having an impact all over the place. And I'll tell you what, I love the fact that you guys are even doing marriage nights like this. I, I, I love even the, the raffles that like, you know, that nine kids can win a book. You know, I keep thinking <laughs> if we were like in Pakistan, it'd be like, who has 35 kids? 30, 37, you know, it would just be a different level. Anyway, I'll tell you what, before we, uh, sorry, I'm making my wife stand up here. I love you. Uh, I just wanted to introduce you to my wife. I thought, come on, if we're going to talk about marriage, you know, it just helps for you to imagine who has to put up with me, you know, and so this is my lovely wife, Carolyn. We've actually been best friends almost every day of the last 17 years. Uh, we've spent together, been married for 15 of those, and and. Uh, Oh, that's just a snuggle moment. Hold on, kumbaya. Okay. Let's sing it right here. Okay. Love you, babe. Thank you. Thank you. All right. All right. Now, uh, you know, she's also been a blessing because she also ha- has put up with me, and we've got three kids. We've got two girls and a little boy, and uh, boy, they're they're feisty and just like their mother. And uh, you know, now, honestly, I'll tell you what, uh, for those of you who don't know me, I, I always love to start out by sharing uh, really, my story, actually my, my testimony, real fast, in a nutshell, uh, I actually gave my life to Christ in a nightclub, of all places. I didn't grow up. I didn't grow up in church, and I really had no concept of God whatsoever, and so the, the idea of me being a pastor, you have to understand, I'm the guy who stood up at a party and said I could talk anyone into a suicidal depression, because life has no meaning. I, I was that guy, and it was almost like God was up in heaven, like, ha, ha, ha. He's going to be a pastor. Watch this, you guys. Um, no, honestly, <laughs> um, honestly, I, I, I know it's God's sense of humor. Um, I didn't know that the girl that I was dating at the time had grown up in church. I, I really had no concept. And uh, you have to understand, uh, it was a pretty crazy time in my life. One of my good friends died in a car accident. And then that same week, uh, my wife walked in. She actually found her father's body after he had committed suicide. And um, it was, it, we, you know, we, we went to, you know, two funerals in a week. And I'll, I'll tell you, I, you know, even as a non-believer, I knew that there had to be more out there. And uh, I'll, there's nothing like going to funerals to remind you just how fragile life is. And you just, you know, there's certain questions that you, you, can't, you can't be superficial about what the meaning of life is when, you know, you realize how fragile life is. And so, uh, and, and I, I remember, I, I used to be a rave DJ, and so I'm touring around all over the place uh, into clubs, you know, doing that kind of stuff. And you could just imagine the lifestyle that came along with that, right? And, and yet, you know, I had a, one of my Christian friends told me, hey, Peter, uh, you should ask God to reveal himself to you. And I thought, that's the weirdest thing. I, you know, been there, done that. I already know God you know, this whole Christianity thing is nothing but a dead ritual and all that kind of stuff. I'm not interested. And so I thought that was the weirdest thing. But you know what? After those funerals and I'm asking deeper questions, I kept thinking, maybe there is something more to life, right? And so I I literally was in the DJ booth uh, looking down on the dance floor. Everybody's drunk and stoned out of their mind. And I remember thinking, I, I was so depressed. I'm like, I hate this. I hate these people. I hate my life. What are we doing? What are we doing? And, you know, just totally overwhelmed. And then all of a sudden, that conversation came back. Ask God to reveal himself to you. And so I thought, what the heck? Why not? Let's try it, right? And so right there in the DJ booth, I'm like, God, whoever you are, whatever you are, you know, if you exist and if you really created the world, then you should be powerful enough to show me what religion is the right religion? You know, like, give me a sign. Show me a miracle. Lightning bolts across the sky. Islam, Buddhism, none of the above. You know, something, something that would show me the the right way. And so I I prayed this prayer, right? And I kind of like, you know, as you'd imagine, you know, as a non-believer, I'm like, I snapped out of it. And I thought, what am I doing? I'm praying. I mean, wow, I must really be depressed, you know? And uh, I thought, I need a cigarette. And so I... (laughs) I, uh, I, I put on a mix, and I started walking out of the DJ booth, and I had only taken a couple steps, like, I don't know, maybe just, a, just down the stairwell and only like 30 steps from the stairwell, and a total stranger comes up to me and, and kind of grabs me by the arm and said, uh, I, I'd never met him before, and he goes, I know this is totally weird, but I feel like I'm supposed to tell you that Jesus has a plan for your life, and he wants you to follow him. okay, I, I did not have a happy response at that moment. I was freaked. I was scared out of my mind. I immediately started sweating through every pore of my body. You know what, like when you, when you're totally spooked, you know what I'm saying? I didn't even know what to tell him. And so I, I I grabbed him and I said, what did you just say? And you know, the poor guy was just trying to share the gospel, right? And, uh, and so this time he, you know, I probably freaked him out. I was scared. And so he, and so he repeated it again, except this time a little bit more awkwardly and more sheepishly. And and, uh, and, and the words just flipped out of my mouth. I, I just, I, I said to him, I go, tell me what I'm supposed to do. And, you know, and he was a little bit surprised by that because he's thinking <laughs> it shouldn't be this easy, you know, we're maybe we're <laughs> supposed to debate a little bit. You know what I'm saying? And, you know what I'm, and, and I'm like, tell, I'm like, you, I'm, I'm freaking out. Like, you have no idea what I just did and you were here and we're in a nightclub, this is real, you know. And, 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 and so, uh, he, so he, he was like, uh, we could pray <laughs> and, and, uh, and so that's exactly what we did He just pulled me right down into a nearby booth right. And uh, he said, just grab my hands And so I grabbed his hands And I, it just, he said, repeat after me And uh, I repeated this old school sinner's prayer Right there in the nightclub And that was it I, I, was, I was hardcore I, I remember telling my wife She was working at a hotel at the time I'm like, you'll never guess what I did tonight at the nightclub <laughs> And I remember, I remember, I'm like, I accepted Jesus into my life. And I, you know, she knew what I did. I didn't know what I did. And, and, and she, I remember she took the cigarette out of her mouth. She goes, you did what? <laughs> and, and, but that was it. That was it. We were like, we went to church after that. And from that time on. And and uh, I, I really, you know, the reason why I'm sharing that is because I made all sorts of mistakes before I became a believer. I mean, I did so many dumb things and opened up so many terrible doors And the idea that I could have a functional marriage is rather crazy, and I'll tell you what, I I love my wife, I love my wife, but, you know, thankfully to God, he arrested me with his word, and uh, really early on, I learned a biblical principle that has totally altered my world, totally altered my life, and and that's exactly what I want to share with you tonight, and we're going to have some fun, we're going to talk about sex. I, I did that just to perk some of you guys up a little bit. And, uh, but, but I'll tell you what, so if you got your Bibles, why don't you turn with me, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, and, and I'm actually going to be uh, sharing this with my church even this Sunday, uh, in a kind of a different direction, but in the context Jesus is actually talking about our focus. Actually, believe it or not, he's preaching a tithe message on first fruits, if you study the context. But really, he's talking about in this very immediate context, he's talking about focus, okay? And and, and how important our focus is in our lives, right? And so he says, Matthew 6:21, where your treasure is, there your heart follows. Or another translation says, There your heart will be also. In other words, your heart is following after the things that you treasure. Okay, so now let's stop for a second because what does it mean to treasure something? I mean, when you're when you're treasuring something, okay, it means you're you're placing a, a, like extra importance on it. You're 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 protecting it, right? You're you're pouring your time, your emotional energy into. You know, you're placing your focus on something. Okay, that's and, and the Bible is saying where your treasure is, that's where your emotions are going, right? That's where your so. Now, let me paraphrase this, okay? Desire follows attention, okay? Or or put it this way, feelings follow focus. Wherever your focus is in life, that's where your feelings, your emotions, your desires, your attractions are going in that direction, okay? Does that make sense to everybody? Okay, the more focus and energy you give something, the more you uh, derive pleasure from it, okay? That's kind of the idea, the more you want it. So for example, okay, I think one of my, my favorite analogies of this is really just in the NFL, I, I, uh, once you get to know me, um, like back in college, I was the antithesis of a sports guy. I mean, like I didn't know anything about anything. I, I barely, I could barely name any baseball teams or any football teams. In fact, I, I, I have to admit, I actually lived really close to the Metrodome. I didn't even know the Vikings played there, I honestly, I had no idea. I was that clueless. And some of you were like, how could you do that? I don't know. I don't know how I could do that. Actually, you know, the, the, the truth was, I, I, was into, um, I was into extreme sports. I, I used to compete in freestyle bike and, uh, you know, half pipe, X Games kind of stuff. And so I'd, go, I'd tour around. Uh, for that kind of stuff, and so I knew everything about, like, skateboarding, freestyle, BMX, all that kind of stuff, but I knew nothing about team sports, right, and so, you know, I never watched them, and, and again, and so finally, I get hired on at a church in Wisconsin, and if you've ever been to Wisconsin, there's this religion there uh, <laughs> called the Green Bay Packers, and, and it was like, it was like, you, 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 had to, you had to at least mildly convert to it if you wanted to have any friends, because, you know, <laughs> And part of it is because there's nothing else to do in Wisconsin, if you you know what I'm saying? Let's just be honest. Let's be honest. And, uh, you know, and so like, you know, so finally I'd get, as a pastor, you know, people would be like, come over to my backer party. And I'd be like, all right, what the heck, you know, there's, you know, probably going to be salsa there, you know. So I, I would go. And so, you know. I'd hang out, and then, you know, of course, you know, my friends, you know, my Packer friends would always be like casting vision. Now, this is why this game is important, okay? This is who these people are. This is who these people are, and they'd explain it to me, and so every week, I'd get a little bit more acclimated to who the players were, what was going on, what's scandalous in the NFL, you know what I'm saying? And and just over time, all of a sudden, you know, so there I am. I'm kind of this hippie. Again, you have to understand, I had like dreadlocks in college, and, and by this point, I had like long hair, and I could tuck it into my belt long, okay? Really long, okay? Like, okay, somebody you were like that's really freaky stop talking um so but here I am I'm like this hippie with this like NFL fetish right but but again and so uh, again I I kept getting invited to football parties before long I'm like I'm starting to get into this and this is a really weird thing for me you know my weird for my wife one night she walked in on me and, and I, I was crying to an NFL film you ever seen an NFL film it's so epic man, you want to cry. I mean, I'm just saying, man, I'm, she's like, are you crying to an NFL film? And I'm like, ah, you know, do the man. No, Ugh. you know what I'm saying? And so, and then in one night she caught me surfing the web on NFL sites. And she's like, and she said, she walked in, and she's like, what has happened to my husband? You know what I'm saying? Yeah, and let, me, let me explain what was happening. Like, who are you? Again, the more focus and energy you give something, the more you want it, the more you enjoy it, the more you derive your pleasure from it, okay? Now, if you would have asked me in college, do you ever see yourself surfing NFL websites uh, for stats, I would have said, are you kidding? I'm, why would I waste my time doing that? Okay, so and the reason why I'm saying this is because, ladies, you thought you married some, like, ooh, sensitive, artistic guy, let me just say, he might turn out to be a football guy, okay? I'm just saying. Be warned, it can happen to anyone, okay? But, but okay, here's the point here, and I want you guys to get this, okay? The reason why I, I shared that is because if you nurture anything on a regular basis, your desire for it will increase, okay? Let me say that again. If you nurture anything on a regular basis, your desire for it will increase. You got to understand this. And if you attend to your job and your hobbies or your kids, your desire for it and your pleasure from it will increase. And I realized that, that I was living out the focus principle that Jesus mentioned. Whatever your treasure is, that's where your heart is going, right? Whatever you're focused on, whatever you're valuing, that's where your heart is headed. Again, desire follows attention. Feelings follow focus, Okay? And, and honestly, you know, a lot of people who are like, gosh, I, I struggle getting into prayer or I struggle getting into my Bible. The same focus principle uh, it, it applies here. If you would just focus your attention, if you read your Bible for like 30 days straight, I bet you, you're gonna get addicted to it. But see, a lot of times what, what people don't do is they don't treasure it enough. They don't attend to it enough to actually get to the point where they derive the pleasure from it and the desire for it, right? They, they haven't treasured it long enough So that their heart actually went in that direction. And so, uh, and again, here's how this applies to marriage, okay? Uh, When you get married, sometimes babies occur, okay? I'm not gonna explain how, and if you don't know, you can, you know, ask uh, your pastors here. I'm sure they would help you out here. (laughs) Um, And so, and and sometimes babies happen, sometimes careers change, right? Sometimes seasons of life, they change, right? And although you had intimacy at one time, all of a sudden, there you are in a different season of life. It's different, right? Life has changed. All of a sudden, the babies are crying, the workplace needs you, you got new hobbies that are sometimes consuming, and suddenly, a lot of people, they wake up and they're like, who are you? You know, like, who did I marry? Like, uh, and and gosh, I don't even know, you're you're not a lover, you're a co-manager of the household, you know what I'm saying? Have you ever kind of, you know, what, you began in this whole like romantic thing and then all of a sudden you became co-parents together, right? And 95% of your conversations are dominated by co-management of the household. Did you pick up the kids? Did you do this? Did you do that? You know, do you know what I'm talking about? And your roles, roles, all of a sudden, your roles get very, very stagnant because the only, like, half of your conversations are co-management conversations, right? You're not, like, adventuring, you know, and and, and doing that thing like when you gazed into each other's eyes lovingly. You know, again, a lot of that stuff, maybe every once in a while, but, you know, I think a lot of people, they get into a rut like that. And so then inevitably, I think a lot of these couples, they come running to me as a pastor. Oh, but Pastor Peter, we don't feel the same passion we feel. And maybe we just married the wrong person. Maybe we were kind of pressured at that point in our lives. And we got married kind of quickly and blah, 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 blah. And I'm like, no, listen. No, the truth is that you got to understand the, the, the pursuit principle, this whole idea of focus. Listen, you're just focusing, you're attending to your job, your hobbies, your toys, and your kids more than your spouse, and thus, your heart has gone in that direction. You can't do that. Stop it. Right? You get that idea here, okay? And see, that's why, you know, when I used to do weddings, I used to always make the, the I don't do them anymore, but, because uh, we have, you know, once you get to see substance, half of it is, uh, they're college students, and they get, there's like five weddings a weekend. It's just like ridiculous, okay? So, um, you know, and we're, we're, I always say we're also growing our church the, the Catholic way, just having lots of babies, you know what I'm saying? It's just, it's just kind of the age of our church, you know what I'm saying? And we, but whenever I do weddings, I'd always make every couple make this vow, okay? And this is, I'd literally make them say this. I, they have to say this. I vow to continually pursue my spouse. I vow to continually pursue my spouse. Why? Because desire follows attention, feelings follow focus. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going to be. And so you got to pursue your spouse. In fact, listen to this. In Genesis 2.24, it says that, you know, it says, when it says, a man will leave his father and mother and be united with his wife, uh, the Hebrew word for united often translates to catch by pursuit okay which means you know again they're united because they pursue one another you see and i think a lot of a lot of couples they stop that pursuit they're so busy pursuing their careers pursuing their hobbies their other friendships their kids that they they've they're they're not united anymore because they they've, they've ceased to do what the what the biblical mandate for becoming one flesh is really all about it's pursuing one another becoming united together. And so uh, there's this classic story to illustrate this of a man by the name of Joe, right? And of course, you know, Joe, Joe was sick and tired of his wife. He just, he wanted to get out of this relationship. I mean, they'd only been married for like three years. And and yet already, he's like, I'm no longer attracted to this woman. Seriously. I mean, she's besides, I mean, she was a little overweight now. and, And you know what? She wasn't even that good of a housekeeper anyway, you know? And so Joe finally decided, you know what? I'm much better off getting a divorce, right? But the problem that Joe had is he's afraid that his wife is not actually going to divorce him. And, you know, what, what if she says no? And, and, I, and then I'm in this weird, like, trying to be mean to her. And so we thought, you know what? Before he serves her these papers, you know, he made an appointment with a psychologist. And he thought, he, he, again, he, he, and so this is what he asked the psychologist. He said, Doc, this is kind of weird, but I need advice on how to get my wife to divorce me. Because, and so what, what, is the, what is the best way to get a woman to hate your guts? I mean, you see couples all the time. What is the best way to do this? And so after listening to the story, the psychologist said, well, Joe, hmm, okay, Joe, I got the perfect solution for you. This, this is what you got to do, okay? Write this down, okay? Uh, starting tonight when you get home, I want you to start treating your wife as if she was a goddess, I mean, yeah, that's right, a goddess, okay? And I want you to change your attitude towards her like 180 degrees. You start doing everything in your power to please this woman, right? I mean, you listen intently to her when she talks about her problems and you help her around the house. You know, you you take her out to dinner on the weekends. I want you to literally pretend that she is a goddess, okay? And, and, And then after two months, okay, after two months of this wonderful treatment, okay, you just pack your bags and just leave her, boom she'll feel so betrayed after all that like what in the world that she will certainly divorce you and so joe thought that's kind of strange but you know you're the expert okay let's do this and so You know, he thought, okay, I'm going to work this. I'm going to work this. And so that very night, right, he started to treat his wife as though she was a goddess. I mean, he could not wait immediately to do things for her. I mean, he brought her breakfast in bed. You know, he delivered flowers to her for no apparent reason, right? I mean, uh, listen, within three weeks, they had already gone on two romantic weekend vacations. They read books together at night, I mean, Joe listened to her like never before. I mean, it was incredible what Joe was doing for his wife. I mean, it was awesome, right? And he kept it up for the full two months, right? And so at the allotted time, uh, the psychologist, you know, he gave Joe a call at work. And he's like, Joe, you know, he asked, how's the divorce going? Are you happily batching it again? Come on. Divorce, Joe said. Are you kidding? I'm married to a goddess. I've never been happier in my life. You see, desire follows attention. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart is going. You see, uh, in other words, you and I, we can actually wield our own attraction. And believe it or not, that's actually true, not just emotionally, but sexually. Okay? In fact, it's actually been proven that, that part of the reason why pornography is so dangerous is because your, your brain is trained to neuro- te- neurologically attach to whatever images you're focusing on. In fact, uh, you know, classic story, uh, Douglas Weiss, PhD, specializes in in weird sexual attractions. So anybody who's attracted to like animals, inanimate objects, they'll come to him, okay? No lie, okay? I'm friends with him. And, uh, and he said, like classic story, he said, this is the perfect example. He said, one young man, uh, he, he, his first experience with pornography when he was a kid um, was he found a crumpled up, ripped up, uh, image of a naked lady, and it was ripped. And of course, in this image, this woman was missing the corner, and it was missing her leg, okay? So, and again, he, you know, this became kind of the focus of all of his, his first sexual fantasies, and he, he meditated on this woman for years, right? Well, get this. What is he coming in to get counseling on? He's not attracted to women with two legs. And he's, like, no lie, okay? And some of you are looking at me like, that's really weird. Okay, um, <laughs> There was, another, there was another classic example of a man who, uh, he, he would go out, and uh, he would relieve himself uh, behind the barn. He, he was a young farmer, and of course, as he would do this, he happened to be looking down at his cowboy boots. I'm not going to demonstrate how he did that mechanically, but you can just, whatever, okay? Um, and so, you know, this, so get this, get this, years later, he could not enjoy sex unless he was wearing cowboy boots, in fact, the, the walls of his bedroom were filled with, with shelves full of cowboy boots. And his wife finally said, that's it. I'm, I've had enough. I'm not going to wear cowboy boots. And she forced him to go in and uh, uh, get some counseling. And some of you are like, never going to see cowboy boots ever the same. <laughs> I know. I can't either. It just, it scarred me. But, but listen, actually, it's, it's, it's proven, okay, it's scientifically proven that you, your brain neurochemically attaches to the imagery that you focus on, which is why God designed your spouse to be your exclusive source of sexual input, which is why pornography is so destructive because it creates an alternate source of information, your brain was designed to neurochemically attra- be attracted to the exact body shape that God has given you, not anybody else, not anybody else. Once again, God has designed us, not just emotionally, but sexually, to, to for our emotions to get in sync with the person that he's given us, that we are treasuring, that we're focusing on. That you know, Do you get this? You see, and, and again, uh, I just, here's the deal, as I listen to, uh, in light of this, okay, in light of how God designed our bodies, our emotions, our attraction to work, okay, uh, here's the deal. I, as I listen to a lot of people, especially single people, uh, I hear a lot of people perpetuate what I like to call the compatibility myth, the compatibility myth, okay, and if you're taking notes, you're going to want to write this down. The compatibility myth is this, that marriage and attraction is 90% based on compatibility and 10% based on work. Okay? Compatibility myth is nine, a marriage and attraction, a healthy marriage and attraction is 90% based on compatibility and 10% on work. In other words, if you just find the right person, then everything else should just naturally flow out of that just easily. Everything else just works. You know, attraction just magically sustains itself. You know, communication just works. I mean, you will naturally just finish each other's sentences. You know, honey, I could really go for a chicken pot pie. Yep, I just cooked it. In fact, uh, I love you, honey. You'll just automatically know. You'll intuitively know each other's needs. Why? Because you're soulmates, you see. And come on, we all know that soulmates—they have like a love frequency that just pulses out Morse code straight out of their beating hearts, right? And either you either met that person, or sorry, sucker, better luck next time. You know, <laughs> you missed it. Oop! You didn't read the right books. You didn't wait around long enough. You know what I'm saying? Again, so compatibility myth, right? You just, you missed it. You just didn't marry the per. You weren't perfectly, equally yoked. You know, I, I hate that. and I, Especially in Christians, you know, I keep thinking, wow, you could not have swallowed a bigger lie. Because here's the truth, right? Here's the truth. And those of you who have been married a long time, you know this. You know this, right? Marriage, romance, and romance, and attraction is 90% work and focus and treasuring right? And it's, it's 10% compatibility. I mean, again, I think, I think for, for example, many single people, they're just constantly obsessing over the, the silliest criteria. Oh, does he share my passions? And, you know, and yes, you know what? I think that there's some basic issues of compatibility you need to look for. Do they passionately love Jesus, right? Do they have good Christian fellowship in a ministry in a local church, right? Are they even remotely attractive to you, and can you be best friends? You know what I'm saying? There's basic criteria. You can't compromise on these things. However, I got to be honest with you. Once you get to know my wife and I, we are, we are 100% different. I mean, we, we are totally different. I mean, you have to understand, like back in college, I was like this poetic singer-songwriter. I was like, I was like artistic, you know. I like to, you know, I, you know again, I, I would write poetry for her. In fact, that's actually how I bought her her wedding ring. I wrote a song, and I won a contest for it, and I got this money for it, and so I bought her a wedding ring. And and, uh, and, and don't get me wrong, you know, my wife can enjoy when I write poetry and write songs for her, but, you know, she she... She prefers acts of service. It's just totally different, you know? She would rather I just wash her car or, you know, unload the dishwasher, right? And, you know, but, 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 but back in college, see, I was looking for the philosophical woman, a woman with deep passions, you know? I mean, I, one who could, like, analyze movies with me. You know, maybe, maybe also a good singer I could sing with, you know. I, see, in other words, I was looking for someone exactly like me, except without the ability to grow a beard. That was, you know, that was basically it. <laughs> that's what I was looking for, you know. And uh, see, but she just, she honestly, she didn't fit any of my criteria of what a soulmate would look like. You know what I mean? I just, she's conservative. She couldn't be sarcastic to save her life. And that's like my love language, sarcasm. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> She says something sar- sarcastic. Oh, baby, come here. I love you, you know? Like, that's my love language. You know, like, she, she, doesn't, she doesn't always appreciate my poetic side. And she's like, hon, you know, why don't you write me a poem while you're unloading the dishwasher, you know? <laughs> you know, that's my wife. You know, I just, again, and so then, a lot, you know, especially a lot of our young people, when I share this, of course, all the, like, these romantic college students are like, well, then why did you marry, why did you marry your wife? Listen, why, why did we get married? Let me tell you why we got married. Because I realized that 90% of the things that make a great marriage have nothing to do with all that superficial garbage. I started to see, you know what, there's a completely, totally different way. Uh, There's a uh, a way to be married. There's a completely, totally different uh, set of strengths in my wife. And through disciplined pursuit, I fell in love with those strengths. And listen to me. Don't get me wrong. Today, I actually feel more passionate attraction for my wife than I ever have. But I'll tell you how I got there. It's because I got beyond all the superficial forces of attraction that are all temporal and I got into a more divine and consistent way of stoking up our romance. And how? Feelings follow focus. Desire follows attention where your treasure is. That's where your heart is going. You see, and so let me get practical, okay? How do you apply this vow to pursue your spouse, uh, uh, just really, let me give you three simple things that you can do uh, to, to apply this vow. Number one, get your mind on the right things. Get your mind on the right things. You guys know this scripture, Philippians 4, eight. Whatever, finally brothers, whatever is true, noble, right, pure, lovely, admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about these things. You see, I think over time, we all have the tendency... To focus on negative things in our marriage rather than the positive things. In fact, believe it or not, did you know that there's a physiological reason for that? why there's a physiological reason for why you and I all have this tendency to focus on negative things in our spouses and the people that we're closest to, okay? Uh, I, this is interesting. Those of you who know me, I'm kind of a, a, a science geek. I, I, I quote some weird psychology stat in every single one of my messages. Uh, but get this, uh, when, when, you have, when, when somebody compliments you, it releases certain things like endorphins. It, relieves, uh, it releases certain chemicals, right? Well, did you know that when somebody critiques you The hormones that are released when somebody's critiquing you, they take six times longer to flush out of your body than the chemicals that that come from a compliment. Okay? And that's why, you know, like, have you ever noticed that before? How, like, you know, like, for example, I, I could just preach this great message. I get off the platform, and, you know, we could see six of the most radical conversions you've ever heard of. And all of a sudden, you know, some, you know, self-righteous Christian writes me one mean letter saying, your church is terrible. And then all of a sudden, it sends me reeling. You know what I'm saying? I, I obsess over that one person rather than the six. You see, there's a physiological reason for that. It's it's chemical. Again, it takes longer. That's why, you know, I, I, love, I love working out. I love doing aerobic stuff just to kind of flush my body from that kind of stuff. Uh, but again, it's interesting. Over the years, though, I, one of the other things that you can do to compensate for this is you've got to learn how to do the discipline of thanksgiving. You have to learn how to purposefully, intentionally meditate on the good things in your life. Otherwise, you're going to be one of those people that's going to sabotage a perfectly great life simply because you have an unrenewed mind you realize that? Have you, ever seen, have you ever seen a couple like that? It's always interesting when you're watching couples and marriages right on the brink. Because you, you can see from an outside perspective, gosh, nobody else is going to love you like her. I don't know what you're doing. You know what I'm saying? You're an idiot if you walk away from her. because you know, and, and vice versa. Have you ever felt that from an outside? You could see so many great things in their life, but they can't. Mm, they're just like, mm, They're mad. You know, they're thinking about that last mean thing they did, right? Acting immature Again, We, listen, every one of us has that tendency, and we have to counteract that in our sin nature. And and, and again, my my spouse is doing wonderful, yet mundane things for me all the time. Yet, you know, if she forgets to do that one thing, all of a sudden, you know, my sinful brain will obsess over that. Well... Uh, again, I've got to counteract that both physiologically and spiritually by constantly meditating on my spouse's strengths. And so, uh, for example, like one of the things that I do is I believe believe in writing love letters, okay? And not for my spouse's benefit, who cares, right? But for my benefit, (laughs) for my benefit, okay? I believe in writing love letters for my benefit. You don't even, I don't even have to give it to her, right? Again, uh, this, this will change me, and try this, okay? I dare you. I dare you to try this, okay? Uh, sit down and write an entire page about what you love about your spouse. In fact, I, I know a lot of marriage counselors, this is the first thing they do, session number one. If you, cannot, if you cannot write a full page of all the praiseworthy things in your spouse, then you have not earned the right to even get a divorce, you're just an unteachable person, right? I love this. So sit down, write an entire page about everything you like about your spouse. And I'm telling you, it is, it is crazy what happens, even in my own heart. Uh, by the time I, I'm getting done writing this page, if you didn't feel much for your spouse before, when you started by the end, those flames are gonna be so stoked up, you're gonna be like, where is she? <laughs> where is he? You know what I'm saying? Uh, see, to have a healthy marriage, we've got to get our minds on the right things. And that is why pornography is so, so destructive. It is so destructive. And by pornography, I don't mean, I'm not just talking about videos or photos of, of naked people, okay? Let's just get beyond that definition, okay? I, I, PG-13 movies can be equally pornographic okay? It's anything that, that, that produces a desire or a, a desire for things that God has not given you. It's anything that creates a fantasy or a lust inside of you that makes you uh, demonically discontent. You see, uh, PG-13 movies can be equally pornographic. And what do I mean by that? You see, porn is anything that stimulates lust or fantasy. And, and for women, you know, it can be a, a simple little magazine or a romance movie can impregnate you with that demonic discontent. Pastor Peter, you better not mention the movie Twilight because he is a thoughtful, godly vampire. <laughs> He's like a vegetarian vampire who cares about people. <sighs> hey, I'm just saying, porn can take a different look and different form for different people. You see, anything, anything that produces a false idealism or a, dev, or a demonic discontentment. That is porn. You see, if you want to have a healthy marriage, you got to protect yourself from that kind of stuff. And you got to be vigilant about it. I don't ever go to the video store and rent something until I've read the view, reviews. You know, pluggedinonline.com. Come on. Or you just go to pluggedinonline.org. It's focused on the family's website. They review everything. I love that kind of stuff. Get there. Get your mind on the right things. Okay? The second thing you can do to pursue your spouse, to, to apply this, and it's this. When you think something good, say it. When you think something good, say it. Okay, and especially you introverted husbands, right? You're, I'm thinking it. I'm thinking it. But that doesn't count. That doesn't count. Okay. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily, as long as it is called the day. But how? Okay, men, let me break this down. Pursue her with words of affection. And men, let me really dumb it down. Non-sexual affection. Okay? In other words, say, honey, I love you because fill in the blank with something non-sexual. I know that's kind of revolutionary. You're like, I don't even, uh, wow. Figure that out, okay? Ladies, women, pursue him with words of affirmation, with words of respect. Why? Because he is becoming what you say of him. Okay, he's becoming what you say about him. Listen, ladies, you know him more intimately than probably anybody else does on planet Earth. And if you don't believe in him, he's not going to believe in himself. And, and you got to understand, especially in, the, in this culture, you know, uh, again, uh, as men, we've been trained by the world, even though this isn't true, okay, even though this isn't accurate, we've been trained by our culture that we're only as good as our last accomplishment, we're only as good as our last accomplishment. How, so how good did you do in sales last month? Well, it's a new month. Last month doesn't matter. You know what I'm saying, okay? And, and so ladies, we need to hear that you still believe in us, right? That, that we're leaders, that we're fighters, that we're headed towards something significant. We need to have somebody who believes in us like that. And so again, words of affection. And If you, if you think something, you gotta say it. You gotta say it. You gotta watch your mind, okay? Uh, last but not least, number three. When you think of something special, do it. When you think of something special, do it. It's so similar to the last one. When you think of something, right, say it, right? If you think of something special, do it. Men, if you're thinking about doing a special date or a special letter or a special gift, do it, okay? If you see the dishwasher is full, do it, right? Again, I don't know why, but it seems like simple things like unloading the dishwasher can be like the ultimate in romance for some ladies, and you just ask your wife, what's the ultimate? And she's going to tell you, right? And a lot of times you're going to be like, oh, that doesn't not make any sense to me. And I'm not sure I believe it, right? Listen, believe it. Because if you do that, man, she might do something special for you. <laughs> I'm not going to say what she might do. But men, come on. Women have very special ways of saying thank you. <laughs> and some of you are like, what do you mean? Like chicken pot pie? <laughs> Come on, married ladies, you know what I'm talking about. I could probably take up an offering right now and it would just, be, men would be pulling out their wallets. Let's do this. I like this preacher. Um, listen, here's the deal, men. <laughs> Sorry. If you think something good, do it. And maybe you men are like, uh, Pastor. I did something last week, and I'm not sure if I cashed in. Okay, man, you got to understand. You got to understand points evaporate at midnight. There's no rollover plan. There's no rollover plan. Do it today. Okay? You got to cash in. The moment's now, all right? So some of you are like, gosh, okay, I got a couple more hours left in the day. That's right. That's right. Okay, so, but here's the deal, guys. You know what, I'm not trying to oversimplify the ingredients of a happy marriage, and I think, uh, you know, when you listen to people like me stand up in front of the pulpit, and I I hate doing this for my church, you know, one of the things I hate about preachers is they just, everything is just a formula for a lot of pastors, and I I just, uh, let's face it, you know what? Uh, intimacy is just forged through conflict. You know what I mean? You just—it's forged through conflict. It takes time. Yeah, you, you know, if you want to have a good sex life, you just gotta log a thousand fights. You know what I'm saying? And hopefully you have healthy ones, right? Not the kind where you're throwing things at each other, but the kind that you're actually communicating. You know what I'm saying? You gotta learn how to fight fair. Intimacy is forged through conflict. That takes time, and I, I just—it's so sad when people quit before they get to the good part. And I keep thinking if I've only known my wife for like what nine. Uh, 19 years now. It's actually 19. And I keep thinking, you know what? It's getting better and better every year because we are intuitively getting to know one another. And she's able to finish my sentences, not because we're soulmates that have just these hearts that beat out a Morse code that we understand, but because we just simply had a lot of fights and she knows where i'm going she knows how i'm thinking she know and she's meeting my needs in advance even though they don't make sense to her and i'm meeting her needs in advance even though it certainly doesn't make sense to me you know what i'm saying again i don't want to oversimplify things and there's probably some of you who you know what today you you do need counsel you need serious counsel and i don't I never feel ashamed to go in and get marriage counseling, even just as a tune-up. I don't, you don't even have to have problems to go in and get marriage counseling. I think healthy couples should go in, get marriage counseling, whatever. Do whatever it takes to keep, keep that car tuned up, so to speak. Again, and, and for most of us though, I think little gestures, little gestures go a long way in, in treasuring someone. And when we do that, I believe God does his part. And what is that? He enables our heart to go in the direction of the things we're treasuring. And that is why it is so important. It is so important. We're treasuring the right things. And not just even in a marriage standpoint, but even across our lives. That's what Christianity is all about. Jesus finished that whole context in Matthew 6 If you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, everything that every pagan and non-believer out there is running after, I'm going to supernaturally add it to your life. Supernaturally add it to your life. Everything that everybody's running after in the world, I'm going to supernaturally add it to your life when you put me first. What a promise is that? Man. And I'll tell you what, my wife and I have watched God bless our lives over and over and over and over again and listen, you cannot afford to live your life without getting that in your heart and in your marriage, in your family, in your in everything you're doing. And so listen, God is here to help you get to that next level. And so as we just end tonight, uh, let's just end by putting our lives and our marriages and our families in his hands. Can we do that? And maybe you're here and you're like, gosh, I'm not even sure I've ever done that before. I know, uh, again, as a, as a person who is newer to the whole. Church thing. It was a a very foreign experience for me to do this, but I'll tell you, listen. Following Christ is one of the most wonderful things I've ever done, ever. And I just, I want, I want to make sure that every last one of you has gotten that experience. And so, if that's something you're interested in, just close your eyes with me, and let's just end with just a moment of rededication. Jesus, you see our lives. You see all of the needs we've got going on, financial needs, emotional needs, marital needs, parenting needs, all that kind of stuff. God, you see the big picture, and I just pray that your power would show up in our lives as we lay our lives before you. Jesus, we want to put you first. We want to seek first your kingdom and your righteousness. We want to prioritize and treasure the right things, and so Jesus, as we treasure you, And as we treasure this spouse that you have gifted us with, God, I pray that you would do the rest, that you would stoke up our passion, you'd stoke up our our love lives, our our communication, our marriages, everything, God, to the glory of your holy name. And, And church, if that's your prayer, just say this after me. Just say this. Say, dear Jesus, fill me with your life. Fill me with your passion. That we might live for you, full of joy, to your glory. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.